One Hope Church. So we are continuing through our study of the book of Acts this morning. Uh, We're in Acts chapter 27. And so last week we saw um, the Apostle Paul give his uh, defense before um, Agrippa, who was you know, in charge of the larger area there. Um, but he had made his appeal, uh, Paul had made his appeal to Caesar, as God had you know, promised him and told him before that God would send him to Caesar, that he would give testimony in Rome to who Jesus um, is. And so, you know, he, he's holding to that, and he, and he also takes this opportunity that's given to him um, to secure that he's going to, to go there. So that's um, where we pick up in chapter 27, verse 1. It says, When the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. We left on a ship whose home port was Adramidium on the northwest coast of the province of Asia. That would be southwest Turkey. It was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. I just want to stop there for a moment in those first two verses just to make a couple of um, observations. One is that the we here means that Luke was on this trip as well. And it's just amazing to me as, you know, Luke has written the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts and how he's able to keep a focus in his writing on God's work and and glory and Paul's ministry as the center of the story instead of focusing the attention to what he himself experienced. You know, it'd be pretty natural to start writing at this point. You know, I went on this ship with Paul. Here's what happened to me. But he only uses, you know, the term we to identify that he's there. Um, And then he doesn't talk about his own emotions or his own, you know, his own experiences or what he's thinking. Uh, But he keeps the focus on God and his glory, the mission uh, and the ministry that Paul had. Uh, And I think that what we see in that is Luke's great humility. You know, it's evident in how he writes that his humility is great. Um, and we all need to understand, and, and Paul himself understood this, that we should all be thankful for whatever part God allows us to play. But ultimately, the story is Jesus' story. It's his story. Um, he is great, and we are small, and we are blessed to be a part of his story. Uh, and then you have Aristarchus, and Aristarchus was a faithful friend of Paul. We see him. Back in chapter 19 and 20, he's a, he's a traveling companion of Paul. He was with Paul in Ephesus, that was in chapter 19, and he was one of the believers that was dragged um, into the amphitheater, amphitheater by the mob. Um, he also spent time in prison uh, with Paul. And so, you know, I think there's probably few things that would bond people together more closely as followers of Jesus than spending time in prison together because of, of the good news of Jesus. And so that's just wanted to bring up a couple of those people that are with Paul in this journey. It also just shows um, that Paul has some favor here because he's he's allowed to have his companions with him, even though he's a prisoner and they're not, and they're able to minister to him. And even further, we see this 
in verse 3, it says, The next day when we docked at Sidon, Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with friends so that they could provide for his needs. Putting out from to sea there, we encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. We sailed north of Cyprus between the island and the mainland, keeping to the open sea. We passed along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, landing at Myra in the province of Lycia. Then the commanding officer found an Alexandrian ship that was bound for Italy, and he put us on board. Um, and so just stop for a moment there just to state that, you know, so they've been on one ship, and they're now they're transferred to another ship. And this ship, um, we, we end up learning, is a, is a ship that carries grain. We've been carrying wheat um, from Egypt to Italy. Okay? And so... These, these ships were, were significant. A smaller grain ship could hold 75 tons of grain. A larger grain ship could hold 360 tons. Um, you know, the, the naval capacity in the world at this time was really incredible. Um, there is just an example in the Roman Empire. They would have one port um, in the Red Sea, and 120 ships a year would travel from that port to India to be loaded down with pepper and that pepper would go across and then would go on barges you know, it would be, get sailed back through the Red Sea and then would go across barges to Egypt and then from Egypt it would get shipped to Italy. That's just pepper from that, and that's just one, one, from one port the, the ships going out of there. I mean when it came to trade you know, the Roman Empire traded you know, they had all the land in North Africa up into you know southern Europe, even into England eventually, uh, but also they traded into India, they traded into China. Um, so you know you're talking about massive, you know numbers of of people, and we also need to keep in mind that all of this is enabling the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forward in all of these places. As people are hearing and come, becoming believers in one place, and then their, their business takes them on ships to India, takes them on trips to China, takes them on trips to North Africa, that the gospel is spreading as all of this is happening. And, and in some ways, the timing of God is perfect. Well, it, it's always perfect. But there's a reason that Jesus Christ comes onto the scene when the Roman Empire you know, is, is still in its heyday and, and all of the transportation um, and education is, is there to be used for God's glory. Uh, it's not by accident that that happened. That happened. Uh, and so the fact that the Romans were incredibly good at logistics, at trade, um, enables the gospel to use that as an avenue to go forward. You know, it's the same thing that we would look at today and say, you know, what does what does radio allow us to do? You know, what you know, what does the internet allow us to do in terms of sharing, you know, the gospel, you know, with people? Uh, and it's these are powerful tools at our disposal today, just as the uh, transportation routes were powerful tools for the gospel in the for the first century church. So, uh, verse 7, we had several days of slow sailing, and after great difficulty, we finally neared Sindus, but the wind was against us, so we sailed across to Crete, and along the sheltered coast of the island, past the Cape of Salmon, we struggled along the coast with great difficulty, and finally arrived at Fair Havens, near the town of Lasea. We had lost a lot of time, 
The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall. And Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Men, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and a danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. And since Fair Havens was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, farther up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. Kind of neat that we're studying Titus in our midweek house fellowship, as Paul wrote in the book of Titus, to help him establish elders for the churches on the island. Um, but for our purposes this morning, what happened later, for what happens later in the story, it's important that Paul's um, statements here are recorded and, and known because his, uh, his uh, perspective, his spiritual authority uh, is going to be fully on display later, but the stage is set for it here as he gives us this warning not to continue. Uh, and there's some, some things for us to learn through that. So let's go to verse 13 and see what happens. When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength called a Eurocyclodone, or what we would think of as a northeaster, burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. Now, this is what I wanted to, to make a big deal of kind of this morning. Uh, that we, what we see here is that spiritual discernment is better than just human observation. Spiritual discernment is better than human observation. So what do you mean by that? You know, sometimes things will look good or bad from the place we are in in the moment. You know, that's our perspective. And we're always greatly tempted to make our decisions based on the facts that we see right before us. This situation looks bad, so I'm going to do this. This situation looks good, so I'm going to do this. But God sees what we cannot see. God sees what we cannot see, and so we need to learn to discern in the Spirit, and also to learn to listen to those who have the gift to do so. That will avoid a lot of problems and pain in our lives. And there's been so many times in my life when, when talking to someone about a decision that they made, even you know, when it turns out the decision was even a bad decision, like the results of it didn't turn out how they thought they would, it deserved, the, the results didn't turn out well. And they'll say, well, you know, but based on the facts that I had at that time, it was a good decision. But still, only looking at it through the human perspective, from the human eyes in terms of the flesh and what it can see and what it can touch, what it can handle, what it can calculate on a, you know, with a calculator and a piece of paper and saying, it, you know, even, you know, yeah, it didn't turn out well, but based on the facts, it was a good decision. But the question there is, but did you listen to God? Did you seek the will of God? Did you discern in the spirit that it was, was right or wrong? Because perhaps you would have been spared the consequences of the error. I speak this to myself because I know that, you know, decisions that, that, you know, we've made at times in the, in the flesh, you know, based on the facts looks good to do. 
but didn't listen to the spirit. And sometimes that's the pit in your gut that says, hold on, be patient, wait, not so fast, or no, there's something else later. But there are times when we push that down, we push that aside because of what we want in the flesh and because we have a hard time being patient and we want the immediacy of the gratification. And so we say, okay, I'll go forward and I'll do it. And that always ends up not going well. What does the scripture say about this? 1 Corinthians 2.13, it says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches concerning spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can, they, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And that comes like from a big basis. From the beginning, you know, with our faith, there's a spiritual element, you know, to it that goes beyond the physical, beyond the material. There's a spiritual element. Um, Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 12.10. He gives a list of spiritual gifts and he says, To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. What is discerning of spirits? That's really to know whether something is from God or from the enemy. And sometimes we have a hard time knowing. You know, is this a blessing from God or is it a temptation? Is it a potential blessing from God or is it a temptation of the enemy? So we need discernment. The word of God helps us to discern. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So part of our discernment is to make sure we're immersed, that we are digging into the word of God, not just going there like looking for something that we hope will validate what our flesh wants. But we use the word of God to help us. And one of the things that, that's so good about this is that God, what, what the Holy Spirit instructs a person to do or leads a person to do will never contradict the word of God. So this is a great safety net for us. The principles of the word of God are true when they're, they're lasting. You know, because so many times people will say, well, God, I feel like God gives me peace about doing this. But doing this is actually a sin. You know, and it's like, well, no, I'm sorry. God couldn't give you a peace about that because in his word, he says that is wrong to do. He also says in Hebrews 5, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And so, you're, you know, it's... it's it doesn't just happen. There's work that's involved in discerning from God. And, and part of that is learning from past mistakes and admitting those mistakes. You know, when people don't admit that past decisions were wrong, they have a hard time learning from those 
situations and therefore making better decisions, you know, listening to the Spirit of God in the future. So we have to be people who are, are learning, who are becoming more mature in the Word and are able to discern between good and evil. You know, and this is one of the great problems you know, in, our, in our world today where people have such a lack of discernment of, of what is good and evil. And so much of it just comes down to emotions, the emotion of the moment. You know, but, but there's so much inconsistency in it. So much inconsistency. So much. And there's so many different areas that we could look at um, in that and, and don't want to take a ton of time you know, with that this morning. But you think about a society that says, you know, if, if someone is driving a car recklessly and they, they kill a pregnant woman, it's, it's a double vehicular homicide. But yet, if for some reason, say, say that baby is going to be a girl instead of a boy and they want to have a boy, then she can abort that baby and it's okay. Think about a society that says both of those things at the same time. Think about a society that, think about a world that will, you know, highlight the Special Olympics and say, look at what these people are doing and isn't it great and amazing and at the same time attempt to eradicate all of those people. You know, the country of Iceland, you know, boasts that it has now 0% of newborns with Down syndrome. They are 100% Down syndrome free. Well, how have they accomplished that? They accomplish it through testing and pregnancy, and they abort all those who have Down syndrome. It's only because they would have Down syndrome, and in their opinion, better to not be alive than to be alive with that. How sad for a world, for a country, an entire nation to miss out on the blessing of those people and what those people can teach them throughout their lives. And you have entire generations missing out on that blessing. Great harm to themselves. But this is the sort of world that we live in where people have a hard time discerning between good and evil. And, is, and good, what's good and what's evil in a given you know, year changes. Changes. We see this happen all the time, you know, in our politicians. They, you know, something gets more than 50% in the polls and they change their position. But it's a moral, ethical situation. And that moral, ethical situation doesn't change based on popularity. It either is it or it isn't. But so many of our politicians will switch positions based on the mood of the country. That's not leadership. That's just acquiescing for their own personal gain. Even in the church, churches, it's this lack of discernment that allows for false teachers. If it wasn't for a lack of discernment, there would be no prosperity gospel. You know, the prosperity gospel teaches you that if you just have enough faith and you pray these certain things, that God's going to give you this material abundance. If it wasn't for a lack of discernment, you wouldn't have millions of people clamoring to hear it. Those, those preachers wouldn't, be, wouldn't have 
work if, if people had discernment. There would be nobody to listen to it if people had discernment. 1 John 4, 1. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. So we agree with Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. Paul had that spiritual discernment because of his relationship with God. I mean, he gets special insight, obviously, as an apostle um, into things and certain promises that God has made him. But, you know, they don't listen. The sailors don't listen. They go based on their experience. You know, and everything is rational. Hey, this fair havens port isn't so fair to spend the winter in. It's not the ideal location. There's a better place if we can just get there a little further on the journey It'll be better for us. It's all rational from a human perspective. But because of the Spirit of God, Paul can see what they can't see. He can know what they can't know. But because they don't listen, the following things happen. Verse 16, We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Quada, where there's great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. Then the sailors bound ropes around the whole of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across the sandbars of Sirtis off the African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began to throw, throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. No one had eaten for a long time and finally Paul called them together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives even though the ship will go down. For last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for surely you will stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Notice the, here we have that encouragement that Paul gives. Like, hey, it's going to get worse before it gets better, but you're going to be okay. And he's able to say that confidently. In the Lord, because he's heard directly from the Lord on this subject, from the angel of the Lord. So, verse 27. At midnight, on the, on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. You know it's a big ship when you can just throw out four anchors from the back of the ship. You know, it's a big ship. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. So you see what they're doing. Hey, we're going to put out the anchors from the front of the ship. Really, they're trying to get in the lifeboat to save their own lives. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, You will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. 
And just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks. He said, please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. And after eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. So now here, again, we see the size of the ship, 276 people. You know, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people on a ship. But, um, you know, the, the bigger ships could carry, you know, many more people than that. Uh, pretty tremendous. But here's something that we, we need to take through with us with this, is if you're, in, if you're confident in the Lord, if you know through the right spiritual discernment in the situation of what God is doing, you can be an encouragement to others in times of trial. When things look down, when things look bleak, when we're at the bottom and people want to give up, if you have that from the Lord, you can say with confidence to everyone, we're going to be okay. Everyone breathe. Calm down. Here, eat some food. Get your strength back. Like, there's going to be something you're going to have to endure more even, perhaps. But we're going to get through this. And we're going to get through this together. You know, and that's the, that's the, the positiveness that Paul has in his life. And I think regardless of the situation, followers of Jesus, of all people, should be the most optimistic people in the world. Because we know how the story ends at the end of the day. We know that Jesus is our Savior and that he is the King of Kings. And that his reign will rule for all of eternity. And we get to worship in his presence with all the people of God of every tribe, tongue, nation. With all the people of God, we get to be together and worship him. We know how the story ends. Just like Paul knows, he's going to get to testify about the Lord Jesus in Rome. Now, he's not guaranteed that he's not going to get, a, get killed after that. But he knows that at this moment, he has nothing to fear because God has made his promise to him. He will testify in Rome. So you don't know what's going to happen to you in this life. You, maybe you can't have the confidence like Paul had, oh, I get to live another five years or another, t-, you know, whatever it is in your situation. Some event gets to happen before I die. You probably don't get that. But you do get that when you die, if you're a follower of Jesus, you get to be in the presence of God forever and you get to worship with his people forever and ever. And that what is there in that realm is, you know, we have so many things here, beautiful things. If you've ever traveled, I mean, even just in our own city, you have so many beautiful things to see. But if you've ever gone anywhere, ocean, mountains, all sorts of stuff, And guess what? What God's going to do next is better than what we have now. And so you know that. We know that. I know that. And yet, so with that, we should be the most optimistic people. And we also know that God is continuing his work. That the Holy Spirit is convicting people of sin. That the gospel is being preached. That the Bible is being translated into more and more, you know, tongues. That, you know, missionaries are going forward throughout the world. And yes, Terrible things happen all the time and all around us. Syria, last night in London, you know, Iraq, all throughout the Middle East. 
Mexico, Central South America, you know, all the things happening in different places. Many things are awful and terrible. We, we know have a, we have a just God. And in this time of grace where he's giving opportunity, God is being patient and giving opportunity for people to repent. Just like God could have just saved Paul and a few others. And, you know, Paul and Luke and Aristarchus and a few others out of this shipwreck. But instead, because of God's grace to them, he saves all of their lives. Why? Because again, they get to hear the testimony. They potentially get to be part of the mission of God throughout the world. It's not a guarantee. They still have to believe, you know, the message that Paul gives. But, but you know, maybe some of these that ultimately end up being saved of this experience go on to be followers of Jesus and to take that message elsewhere. Maybe that's part of the plan. I and mean, I don't want to speculate too much, you know, here. But God saved their physical lives for a reason. And so, we again, of all people, should be optimistic, should be hopeful, and should be, should be able to spread that in our community and you know, to those around us. When people think of followers of Jesus, they should think, man, those people have a joy that goes beyond circumstances. Those people have a positive outlook on the future. Because you know what our world loves to do? Our world loves to complain. Our world loves to make everything as negative as it could possibly be. And our human flesh, a lot of times, goes right along with that and does the same thing. And so we get, we get down, we get discouraged. But why is that? So often it's because we, we take our eyes off of Jesus and we look at our circumstances. And we let our circumstances dictate our attitude and our perspective and our outlook on life. We let our, our temporary circumstances, a lot of times things that are immediate, things that are going to pass even in a couple of weeks, and we let that so affect us when we need to just keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And if he could have joy in going to the cross for our behalf, can't we have joy in any suffering that we have here that's in service to him? And if we keep our eyes also on Jesus, then we avoid you know, additional, unnecessary suffering that we bring into our own lives. You know, When we sin, it brings in unnecessary suffering into our own lives. When we're focused just on ourselves and what we want, it brings unnecessary trouble into our own lives. But when we're focused on Jesus and we're focused on his mission, that's where we find our, our joy, our passion, our purpose in life. And all the other things that God has given you are a means to that end. And, and that's a question that I have to ask myself and you have to ask yourself. But when, with everything in our lives, we have to look at it and say, ultimately, is the end of this toward the glory of God and His purposes? And if so, it's usually good. Keep, that, keep those things in your life. 
But the answer of that is no, it doesn't do anything other than distract me from the purposes of God. Then what's it for? Ultimately, what's it for? We even need to think, you know, as, as parents, those of us who are parents and those of you who will be parents, like when you look at your children, like we love them because they're our children, but they're also, you know, potentially and ho- hopefully part of the mission of God. And so my, our, our responsibility is to, to grow them and to disciple them and to help them be people who love God and are about his purposes. We can train them from when they're very young to, be, to think about God first and to think about serving others. And so this is part of our, our mission. I love here that, that Paul was unashamed. He was unafraid to have his testimony before all of them. You know, he takes that bread. He takes that food. You know, he breaks it. He gives thanks. And, you know, with all of their different gods, with, I mean, with their, with their polytheism that most of them had, you know, you know, all the different gods that they had, just so numerous. You got people there that probably worship, you know, it's a ship, ships from Alexandria. So you probably have people there who worship Egyptian gods. You got people who worship the Greek and Roman gods. You got all this different stuff. And Paul, unashamedly, as he gives them hope, prays to the one true and living God. They lightened the load because they realized, you know, though that was what they thought their purpose was, I mean, it was their job to get, take this cargo of wheat, that the human life was more valuable. A lot of times, you know, that gets missed in our world t- today, too. You know, stuff becomes more important than people, and so people die unnecessarily throughout our world to give people stuff they don't need. You know, in this case, food is obviously something that's needed, but it wasn't like a bunch of people were going to starve to death if they didn't have it. This was one ship of many, many ships. But again, if you're confident in the Lord, you can be of great encouragement to others, whether things are good or things that are bad. We need to be the people of hope that when people are going through hard times, they naturally come to us because we're the people of hope. And of course, if we're going to say our name is One Hope Church, then we need to be the people of hope. We need the people who we need to be the people who others are looking to that says they have hope, and I'd like to have more of that. I'd like to have more of that hope and joy in my life. What do, what do they have that I don't? And the thing about it is, it's not prideful because we didn't do it. We, you know, God gave us. His salvation. He gave us a gift. You know, we're not looking at anybody and saying, I'm better than you. We're looking at people and saying, I was lost. You know, I was hopeless. I had nothing. And then Jesus gave me joy and hope and purpose. He gave me salvation. 
But you know, it's like us. And it's hard. It's hard for us to have that humility that Luke had to where he's not, he's writing the story, but he's, he's, he's not the main character. It's difficult. It's difficult. We always need to remember pointing people to Jesus because he is the one who matters. So verse 39, they've thrown the weed overboard. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastland, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed toward shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship around aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure... They didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and to make for land. Then the others held onto planks or debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. That's just a beautiful scene there. Um, You know, it's powerful uh, what we have happened that... You know, you can see that the message hasn't gotten through to everybody yet in terms of the goodness of God, the promise of God, safety for all of them. You know, again, the soldiers are looking at it pragmatically because it was a life for life sort of situation. You know, soldiers who lost prisoners died. And that's how you kept people from, you know, soldiers from allowing prisoners to escape or from taking bribes to let someone free. It would cost them their own life. So, hey, no matter how much money you, you give a person, if they know that there is certain death on the other side of it, if they take the bribe and let someone free that they shouldn't, they're not going to do it. You know? And so this is, they're looking at this, again, from that pragmatic perspective of life for life. And if it comes down between you or me, I'm taking me. That's, again, that's the natural human flesh. It's a desire to survive. You or me, me. That's the natural thing here. But the way, again, the way of Jesus is different. What did Jesus say? No greater love this than a man lays his life down for his friends. So the way of Jesus is different than that. And you can get an idea that this guy, Julius, that God has given Paul favor, you know, in the sight of Julius. You know, that's God's work in him. But you can see as he's closer to Paul, and you know, imagine the conversations that they're having as he's res- ultimately responsible for Paul and for the other prisoners. You can see that change starting to happen in his life. He's not being so you know, calculated and utilitarian in his decisions. But he knows that there's something different about Paul at this point. And he should, as the story has happened. And so everybody does make their escape. And that's a beautiful thing, uh, even though it was, I'm sure, um, somewhat frightening, especially for those who couldn't swim and were just holding on to a piece of board and, you know, got to get there sort of thing. Uh, But let's continue on. We'll just do 10 verses in chapter 28, and we won't spend long on them. But it says, Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta, The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. 
As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, A murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. So, we obviously, we just read it so you could see the scene. And it's kind of interesting. When they say a murderer, no doubt, you know, Paul might have been thinking, well, that's more true than you realize. You know, he was there when Saul was, I mean, when Stephen was, was martyred. And he, you know, was with his approval. You know, he... he um, went after the early church to try to destroy it, having people thrown into prison. You know, we don't know who else um, died as a result of his decisions and his, his zealous actions and his ignorance. Um, but they had the picture wrong because they didn't understand God's grace. And what God was doing here was just setting it up so that Paul can tell them the truth about himself and the truth about Jesus you know, so he can share the gospel. That's the only, you know, it's like sometimes something, you know, do you understand that sometimes if something bad happens to you, it's, it's you know, this is something, you know, we would consider that's bad. If, if a snake bites you, that's a bad thing, right? But sometimes something bad happens to you, it's an opportunity. That's, the only reason it's there is this opportunity for you to glorify God through it. You know, and he can miss that by freaking out, you know, about the snake and everything else. But again, he knows the promise of God. He's going to testify in Rome. He knows even if he gets sick from this bite, he's going to be okay. But he shakes it off into the fire. He's unharmed. Now the people think that he's a god. Now this happened back in chapter 14 when they were in Lystra and they thought that Barnabas was the god Zeus and Paul was Hermes. Um, And, you know, there they didn't allow the people, you know, the people wanted to worship them, but they didn't allow that. We know that that's, again, what's going to happen here. Paul isn't going to accept people to worship him as a god you say no let me tell you who the true god is this again this is all opportunity it's a it's an opportunity that god is opening the door for the gospel to go forward in malta and so verse seven near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to publius the chief official of the island he welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. And as a result, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. Remember, everybody lost everything. They might have had a little bit of clothing, you know, on their on themselves, left from being in the ship, but they, they you know, had nothing. Uh, but, you know, Paul, throughout his life, once he comes to, I mean, even before, setting the stage for him to come to know Jesus, but Paul was blessed to be a blessing. You know, Paul was blessed to be a blessing. And so God used his life to help many people to change their lives. And we need to know and to understand that God has blessed us for the very same reason. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. That's what he does. You know, he blesses us to be a blessing to others. Um, And so we need to remember our place. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer in Jesus, we need to remember our place, that Jesus is first, 
and we're to strive to love our neighbors as ourselves and to be about the gospel and mission of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, we can do that even this week, seek for opportunities for Jesus to be first, to love on people, to be a blessing to their lives. You know, again, I mean, you know, if you're here this morning, you've probably been blessed in some way, some fashion. You know, if you hear this message, you've probably been blessed in some way, some fashion, and you have the ability and the, the privilege, the opportunity to be a blessing in the lives of others. And, you know, as I look in our room, in this room, and I think about the people in our church, I think about people who have been blessed to be a blessing to others and are striving to do that in their lives. And that's a great encouragement. Yeah, sometimes we're, we, are, we are small in number, but we're big on blessing. And we're big on and that we, how we've been blessed, and we're, we're big on, on attempting as best we can to share that blessing with other people. And that's true of the gospel, that's true of our time, that's true of our financial resources. But let's, that, let's let that be more and more true as we go forward. Uh, and so let's be encouraged with that this week and the rest um, of this summer. Uh, Derek's going to conclude Paul's journey to Rome and the rest of the book um, next week. Uh, this is my last message, Lord willing, until August. And Lord willing, be back in August for um, you know new messages. But I, I think it's a, it's, I enjoy f- finishing on that one uh, because God has blessed us to bless. You know, I mean, I think about the reality of my wife and, and kids and myself being able to go spend a month in Mexico for ministry and, you know, y'all being supportive and allowing us to do that. Um, that's a blessing. That's a huge blessing. That's like a, a, a vision, a dream of coming to fulfillment, you know, and, and that's awesome to see people give of themselves, to give of their, their time, to give of their emotions, to give of their intellect, to give of, of what they have, um, you know, and many people stepping in in many different ways uh, to, uh, to enable the Word of God to move forward here in Athens and in other places. Uh, but it takes work, it takes sacrifice, and it's going to take more of that um, as we go forward. And so I, I want to encourage us this summer to not be stagnant. You know, sometimes in the summertime, you know, everything in life can kind of slow down a little bit and we can kind of relax a little bit more. We go to the pool more, we go to the beach, we do whatever, you go on your vacation. That's great. Enjoy that. But in that, if you do that, use that time to be refreshed by the Lord and come back stronger. Uh, but in the summer, let's get stronger. What does that mean? You know, it means to pray more. It means to spend more time in God's word. You know, it means to, to have deeper fellowship and more important conversations, going beyond the fluff to what matters. Uh, it means taking the opportunities to share our faith. It means to work on, you know, building the church, you know, building, you know, with people um, and building in and, and taking time in people's lives. Uh, so let's strive to do that in the time uh, that we have to redeem the time that God has given us for his glory and for his honor. But let's be the positive people, the people of hope and encouragement to others this week.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and praise you. Thank you for your goodness and your greatness to us. Help us to keep our eyes on your Son, dear Jesus. And as we do so, we remember our hope, our Savior, our King, our joy. As we take that bread and cup this morning, help us to look the eyes of our Savior. Our Savior who welcomes us to the table. Our Savior who welcomes us in. And we say thank you for the bread. Thank you for the cup that remind us. Thank you, most of all, Jesus, that you are our Savior and King. Thank you that you have blessed us. Help us to be a blessing to others. All for you and for your glory, dear Jesus, we pray. In your precious name.